0: Greetings, Wonks! Joe here, the wonky brain behind Mental Babble. Thanks for joining me. Today's episode has been adapted from a Babble posted in May 2018, which can be found at mentalbabble.wordpress.com. Do get in touch on social media or by emailing me at at mentalbabbleatoutlook.com to let me know what you think. Today I want to discuss the use of labels and language in discussions about mental illness, their role and why they're important. Are there some turns of frames that are offensive? Are labels unhelpful? Does language truly matter here? Let's dive in and find out what your fairy wonk mother had to say. One morning. Whilst enjoying some uncharacteristically hot weather England was benefiting from, as I breakfasted out on my decking, I perused some material online about the use of language in the mental health blogging community. Having always been irreverent in my writing style when it comes to blogging, it rose important questions for me. Just how important is it to consider the language we use when we write about mental health and mental illness? To me, it's all a question of intention and context. I challenge the notion that it is inherently wrong to use any word or terminology, and I suggest it's the soul behind a piece of writing that truly matters. Let's explore this further, shall we? In 2012, the BBC came under fire for their use of the term schizophrenic. In his letter to the BBC, a writer suggested that using terminology such as a schizophrenic man contributes to the unhelpful rhetoric that plays an important role in the oppression and marginalisation of those experiencing mental illness. He asserts that by championing change in this area, particularly in the mass media, we as a community can facilitate change in public perception and move towards empowering people. He argued that, to quote, A person is not the sum total of their symptoms. Schizophrenia has unfortunately frequently come to be seen as a negative term that refers to certain clusters of symptoms of mental illness. Labelling somebody as a schizophrenic can mean an individual immediately has to deal with many misconceptions. This sentiment is an admirable one, and I am all for anything that moves us away from stigma and towards the education and empowerment of the masses. I do, however, reject the idea that a word like schizophrenia is simply a label. It is a complex diagnosis, not a label. I also feel that he speaks for all of us, without due consideration to the importance of individuality in experience and without considering how the reclamation of certain language devices might serve to give the mental health blogging community an important string to their bow. Let us not undervalue the use of satire and irony in tackling gravely serious subject material. Let us not underestimate the important role labels and identifiers can play in owning a situation or a disorder. I've babbled before about the empowering role labels can play. To quote myself, the words someone chooses to describe themselves and identify themselves to the world is important to them, and a lot of power lies there. There's a reason so many of us refer to ourselves as queer, it's a reclamation of power. Empowering ourselves with labels implies a sense of control over one's identity and direction in the world which is extracted from my February 2018 babble entitled Holy Nut That Man, A Care Plan. I get the feeling, although perhaps I'm wrong, that I form part of a minority here. There's lots of material out there to suggest that the community is sick and tired of some of the language that's bandied about, particularly in the media. Indeed, timetochange.org suggests that terminology such as mad, nutter, a schizophrenic and the sufferer, are all apt to cause offence and work against the whole notion of enlightenment and empowerment. I personally reject the notion that any stand alone word or phrase is offensive, and instead I assert that the message being conveyed is of more importance. I just simply don't agree that the usage of particular words and the avoidance of others is likely to play any remarkable role in our aim to reduce stigma. Just as with the rhetoric surrounding physical disability, there are portions of the community that abhor the use of wheelchair user or wheelchair bound, preferring to be referred to instead as a person that uses a wheelchair. Whereas I truly do understand the thinking behind this subtle nuance of language, and would respect anybody's right to identify with their physical condition however they choose, I can't help but feel we're sort of wasting energy on the wrong thing here. I totally get how someone who depends on equipment such as a wheelchair to live might find the use of confined to a wheelchair grates on them especially if the use of said equipment is elective or a key aspect of their independence and empowerment. Indeed, a person whom, without their wheelchair, would be totally unable to ambulate doesn't seem confined to it at all, but rather that the wheelchair they use affords them the liberty and dignity that many of us take for granted. That's kind of the opposite, isn't it? In a similar vein, I do understand that there are countless people who find it jarring to be referred to as mentally ill or an obsessive compulsive, depressive, schizophrenic. Indeed, even within the relatively small community of 1 in 4, there is some dissonance in the way members feel about the terminology and language used, even amongst us bloggers ourselves. So why exactly do language and terminology matter? Language and linguistic devices cannot be understated in terms of their importance. The dialogue surrounding us, it plays a key role in ways in which we own and have autonomy over our world and our identity. Drawing your attention once more to the LGBTQ community, which has a long and proud history of reclaiming words and phrases that were once intended to cause harm, the very same linguistic combat rages on. It has ever been and remains still a facet of LGBTQ culture to use the injurious devices of the media and groups that would oppress us as armour, to reclaim slurs and slights against us, to equip ourselves with a tough skin of humour, irony, rebellion and defiance. In May 2013, and in reference to the naming of the 1984 Pits and Perverts benefit concert in Camden, Colin Clues explains that it was, quote, originally thought to derive from a newspaper headline, it now seems more likely that it was a parody of tabloid representations of lesbians and gay men. As with the word queer, pervert has become another word that was originally meant to injure but was used instead as a symbol of defiance and unity in the face of Margaret Thatcher. Unquote. I fail to see how mental illness and mental health is any different. Physical disability, sexuality, race and ethnicity, human rights and physical and mental illness, they're all common experiences that we share, that we have always shared. What harm is there in applying the very same notion of reclamation? to the misleading and damaging rhetoric that exists in our community. When a colleague asked me why I had been signed off sick for three months and subject to a phased return to full-time work, I flatly informed him that I had gone a bit mad and wasn't safe to be at work. This not only made him laugh, but it made the truth one that was accessible, approachable, not so scary or unreasonable to talk about. Ultimately, the beauty of language and labeling is that you, and only you, get to embrace labels and terms that you find empowering. If, like me, you find it useful to identify behavior as typically borderline or state that your OCD is acting up and such like, then you should have the power and autonomy to do so, without fear of reproach. Indeed, in discussion with my peers, the use of colloquial language and terms such as psycho, batshit, and bonkers, not only facilitate empathy through common experiences, but also remove the sting from discussing such painful concepts. The intention of this kind of language use is benign, constructive, and facilitates dialogue that might otherwise be avoided, like, broccoli on pizza. Not just that but can we also acknowledge just how long-winded it would be for peers to communicate in politically correct technically accurate ways. I couldn't be bothered to be honest. What seems to be more the issue at hand is the use of labels and unhelpful rhetoric in the media. We are all unique in our experiences and all have different views with regard to how we wish to be perceived. This is where the cognitive dissonance comes from. This is where that lexical combat I mentioned earlier tends to take place. Tension is derived from each of us having different expectations of and reactions to the ways we are represented. The real crux of this issue seems to be this question, should the media take more care? The short answer is, Yes, tabloids should not inaccurately utilise words and phrases that have very particular meanings with the intention of grabbing, shocking or entertaining their readers. Television programmes should strive to undertake full and extensive research into topics such as mental illness and ensure depictions of particular conditions or problems are accurate, relatable and approached with empathy. The news should at all times strive for unbiased, factual and well-informed reports based on extensive research and reliable sources with an average reading age of seven to 10. Actually one study showed that consuming tabloid news is worse for your vocabulary than not reading newspapers at all. Generally also with a deeply loyal far right wing readership, the tabloides has ever been guilty of the misrepresentation and sensationalisation of subjects such as mental illness. Guys, this is a bigger issue than whether it's more appropriate to say a person diagnosed with schizophrenia versus a schizophrenic. There are, speaking quite frankly, bigger fish to fry, nitpicking over how a healthcare professional handles your illness linguistically, or taking offence at bloggers, myself included, throwing around colloquialisms to make their material digestible and relatable is not what's going to move us forward. Notwithstanding my view that the use of irreverent labels, ironic stereotyping and flatly refusing to pander to the easily and senselessly offended, I do acknowledge that the handling of mental health topics in the mass media is of concern. Whereas I disagree these tasteless lexical choices and sensational use of language are offensive, these are simply unjust. I feel they're unjust, unhelpful and unnecessary. The mass media, quite simply, shouldn't be allowed to splash grossly twisted representations of mental illness and associated topics across their pages. It's the role of the news, in my opinion, to examine and present facts, not to take information and twist it into a foul and abhorrent scaremongering tactic. We return here to the question of intention and context. It's a question of whether information presented is accurate, relevant, informative, and needed. Is it important that a police officer that shot some schoolchildren happens to be schizophrenic? Of course it is. We'd be foolish and dishonest to suggest that it's not important. To omit that information from the report would be a failure on the journalist's part. The real question at hand is, does the headline, Psycho Cop Slaughter School Children, accurately and helpfully represent the real focus of the piece? I guarantee the answer to that question is no. It is misrepresentative and misleading on numerous levels, and it's that kind of misinformation and the inspiration of fear that perpetuates stigma. It's a headline that implores people to grab their pitchforks and more deeply ingrains the idea that illnesses like schizophrenia make people more inherently dangerous. So is it or is it not offensive to say that you're a-schizophrenic, a-depressive or being borderline? The answer to that question is, well, really, it's up to you. How you claim and put stock into labels about your illness and your world is up to you. Whereas it's important to acknowledge that others might have strong objections to the way you use language and that they are also entitled to their own representation, I do feel it's important not to get too tangled up in semantics. More productively, I feel we should be turning our unified attention to the way we are more broadly represented outside of our own communities I'm not sure I agree with the original letter to the BBC, claiming that the use of the term Schizophrenic was offensive and stigmatising. I see the value of putting a human being ahead of their diagnosis, but I think the notion of rejecting labels altogether is unhelpful, petty, and frankly a misdirection of our focus. tuning into this episode of Mental Babble. I'm itching to know what you think about this issue and hear the terminology and language you use when discussing these topics. Shoot me an email at at mentalbabble@outlook.com or look out for me on social media. Join me next time when I give a brief introduction to borderline personality disorder and share some of my experiences as someone with the disorder this has been joe the fairy wonk mother and wonky brain behind mental babble thanks for listening see you soon